Welcome in, everyone. This is uh, Maria from Watertown. We are recording episode 12 of Tape to Tape on Wednesday, December 6th. Um, today's episode will be focusing on the Bruins getting back on the winning track and some of the key elements that have uh, triggered the uh, turnaround after a, a three-game slide. But before we get down to the business of uh, talking hockey, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Carolyn. Carolyn, how are you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing super well. Uh, always when I get to talk hockey with you, Maria, it just uh, makes any long day at work that much better. Um, but I think today we need to be renaming our podcast uh Love letter to Brad Marchand or something to that effect, because I have a feeling we are going to be talking about him a lot today. <laughs> Since we spent some time in episode 11 talking about some of the concerns that we had um, with the state of his game, he had been very, very quiet for a period of time. He hadn't scored a goal in, um, I believe, like seven games prior to this hot streak that he's on. So, um, yeah, the little ball of hate, man, he's uh, he's stepping up to the plate. Everything that I personally love about this hockey player, we got to see front and center this whole past week. Everything I adore about how he plays his game, how he leads out on the ice, you, you've heard me talk about this. All season of the things that I think he does so reliably well, and he does it by leading by example. And it was just like all of his greatest hits, literally and figuratively, um, the whole all three games. I I'm just blown away by his talent and his skill and his dedication. Like I, I believe I called him uh in our game day discord if we if different players could be kinds of dogs he would be a rat terrier um because of his just like he's he's so tenacious and he never gives up and he just keeps going and going and going and he he doesn't stop till that whistle blows um and it's it's so fun to watch <laughs> well you know th this this is the Brad Marchand that um we have grown accustomed to mm -hmm. particularly um in in the in starting with the Toronto game and then moving forward into Jeez Columbus Louise. game but you know e even the San Jose game now again I'm I'm in the in, in in the interest of full disclosure I watched very very little of that San Jose game because I was enjoying myself at uh, a company Christmas party that I had the good fortune of of planning for 600 people. So yeah, um, I was in great spirits on Thursday, but not so much so on Friday. Ah. <laughs> I, I did I did watch some uh, some highlights, but uh, yeah. I will rely on you to give us a summary yeah. of of the writing the ship, so to speak, and and doing what you need to do against a, a team that is nowhere near as good as you are. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it's it's almost cliche at this point when you hear the players, every player, not just on the Bruins, but in any team where 
now is when you have to pick up the the low-hanging fruit of points because these are the games that matter come you know february march april when there's real jockeying uh for the playoffs and you know as much as i i feel bad for these bad teams because nothing feels worse than being on a terrible team uh but the the bruins have no excuses they have to win these games um and it's been an up and down road with that this year and quite frankly for a while now we've seen plenty of instances in this season and last season and other past seasons where I don't know if it's they're just playing down to that team and then they've been taken by surprise or what it is who knows at this point exactly why they do it but they do it and I'm I think it's a common it's a it's a common problem with a lot of teams yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just that they underestimate him because at the end of the day, the guys who play for the San Jose Sharks or the Arizona Coyotes or I don't know, Columbus Blue Jacks, pick your team that is a cellar dweller. They are also professional hockey players. Like, it's not like they don't have talent. They're not playing against, you know, the local rec team where they're going to you know, blow them out of the water. So... Um, you should never make that assumption. And quite frankly, you know, we'll talk about it when we get to Columbus, but there could be a player or two on the team who is just having a, a real great night. I mean, what's his name? Uh, Spencer Martin, the goalie for Columbus. I mean, talk about a hot night for that goaltender. Um, and that could be a thorn if the hockey gods do not smile on you that night and you keep, you know, missing chances or whatever. That was certainly something that I had observed and it was definitely also discussed um, either during intermissions or in postgame where there was, um, I can't remember now if it was exactly a San Jose game or another game, but like, you know, where the Bruins had started off tentatively. And we did see that actually in multiple games over the the, the past week where there was a little I, bit of a tentative start. I think that was the first period against San Jose in that yeah. they just were playing. It looked to me like, let's just get out of this period. Yeah. Being down mm-hmm. and not making such terrible mistakes. Yeah. We find ourselves having to chase the game. Yeah. Well, and then also in the Columbus game, there was a little bit of just not not good puck luck where they may have, you know, they should have had a goal and they didn't or a pass just didn't quite land or they were maybe a half a second behind and doing something. It was just like a little bit, a tiny bit out of sync. Um, And sometimes that's all it takes for one of those crummier teams to then be able to take advantage of the situation and ultimately steamroll a team like the Bruins. I'm thrilled that at least especially with Columbus that they had yet another redemption game. And I'm and I got to tell you as a side note whoever pushed the button on the algorithm to schedule out the NHL season this year 
I have been actually a fan of this schedule. Not, I mean, I, I don't really care who they play when and what time of year. But what I have particularly enjoyed is the fact that they'll play a team and then they're going to play that team again within 10 days. And that's exciting hockey, especially if something particularly unexpected happens in that first game. So think about the first Montreal game versus the second one. Toronto, the first one and the second one. Columbus, the first and the second one. Um, I mean, there have been Detroit. Like, there have already been quite a few of those. And I'm a big fan. And what I love to see is the fact that the Bruins, if it doesn't go their way, with the exception of Detroit, uh, they... Who is with that team? But That's a separate issue. But, you know, they come back and they show that they have learned from their mistakes or they brought a different energy. And so um, this was like redemption week because of the week that they had prior. So, you know, San Jose, it was um, a slow start. I was a little nervous because I didn't really care for how it was going. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they were like, oh, yeah, we got this. And they just clinic the rest of the game. It was like two different halves, completely different halves, uh, first half versus second half. Um, and Sway's 100th NHL game. Yay! Uh, and and, the, and, the, and the, the goalie controversy was put to bed after Sway was... Yeah, yeah. There was nothing wrong with Jeremy Swayman. Yeah. There never was. Um and he's no two between he no. and, and Coach Montgomery, by no. all accounts. No. They had a conversation. Mm-hmm. All is good. So yep. um all, all is right in the, the in the Boston Bruins goalie world right now. Yeah. And you and I saw definitely a, a significant improvement in the defense, the way that they played. Uh it showed especially in the PK, because like we talked about last week. Things were going so poorly for the D that even if, uh, you know, say an average fan or someone who maybe isn't really paying attention to all the details of the things that the players are doing out on the ice, everyone knew that something was wrong with the D because this the PK was we were dropping in the rankings for the for the penalty kill and like that's that's the ultimate showcase of your team's defense and. To go from first place for so long and dropping to third in just really such a short period of time, like that's the warning bells, the warning light, something's going wrong. And then um, against San Jose, just really cleaned it up, really nice, fantastic penalty killing. Um, Of course, JD, I think he's finally starting to get his groove back. it, it, there was a wonderful comment, and I, I'm not going to remember exactly who had said it in, I think, our game day chat, but uh, he's really stepping into the back check and really taking on a role, I think, something that, of course, the GOAT, Bergeron, did phenomenally well. And he's really, I think, trying to find his place in this Bruins roster because if he's not going to be able to fulfill 
a superstar elite goal scorer, which again, remember, nobody ever said that that's what we were thinking he was going to be. This is like a 20 goal scoring kid. Right. He has to though. He's going to be in the 20. He's got to find his place, right? We've talked about this before in the past where a player needs to find what their role is going to be on that team. They have to find their niche so that way they can make sure that they have a place to stay. And one of the things that we had talked about a number of episodes ago was where does JD fit? You know, where, 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 what's his job? What's his role? And I'm starting to see this. I don't know if it's very different than what he did last year, but I think if he was doing this, it was harder to see because he was playing with Patrice Bergeron. Right. And now he's, he's not, playing with him. He's not kind of in his shadow. I'm really seeing a lot of skill develop in his back check, in his playmaking. He's everywhere. He's where he needs to be. He's getting things going. I'm seeing significant improvement, even in just those little things. And that was really, really evident in the San Jose game. And I really enjoyed that. Um, The biggest, (laughs) honestly, the biggest takeaway uh, that I got from this entire game was the fact that in, again, it was either in the intermission or it was in the post game, and even in their podcast after the fact, the fact that the very even-keeled, very um, nonpartisan Billy Jaffe and Andrew Raycroft then, you know, agreed with him, commenting on how bad the officiating was in that particular game, um, because you and I have said this time and time again, uh, what the heck is going on? The fact that someone like Billy Jaffe would actually come out and say something like that, you know, it has to be bad because he's gonna try to avoid talking about like blaming whatever happens in the game on the officiating and actually holding the Bruins accountable and saying, Hey, this is what they did. Well, this is what they did wrong. Um, I thought that was actually a, a little surprising to me that he actually came out and said that. But um, Maria, you were telling me a great story. You actually had a conversation with him. So now you can say you're your BFF Billy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm looking at the box score. We'll, we'll get to that. But I'm looking at the box score for that game. Mm. And I'm looking at, you know, San Jose had 20 minutes of penalties and the Bruins had 22 minutes of penalties. And then you look at the first period, mm-hmm. there were only two penalties called. Yeah. What happened in the second period? Because now I know, I know Trent Frederick dropped the gloves with Giovanni Smith. And I think that was oh, yeah. of a questionable hit. And we had, we had, mm-hmm. uh, we had expressed some concern about that. Yeah. In our prior pod in terms yes. of, you know, Who's going to play that role? Do we? Mm-hmm. Does this team need someone to play that role? Star players should not be having to defend themselves. I'm not convinced that this is something that Trent Frederick, it's, is his role to do. Um, that's not the kind of player that he wants to be because, right? That that's a hard job. And well, and it's he a yeah, very draining job. Right, and they try. He tried that out under. Cassidy and that was not 
the well, right landed fit him for in the him. doghouse. Right. He ended up getting his too yeah, getting his butt stapled. The wrong times, right? <laughs> exactly. He get his butt the wrong times to do that. But <laughs> we, we digress. But yeah, I'm looking at this list of flipping penalties. The second period was the absurd. Second period, yeah. and it's it looks absurd. Yeah, to me. Yeah, and I I did um have the opportunity to ask Billy Jaffe not specifically about the San Jose game, but about a call that occurred in a game between the Philadelphia Flyers and mm. the New Jersey Devils. It was on November 30th, and Garnet Hathaway was given um, a game misconduct mm. for boarding Luke Hughes, and it was the result to me, of an overreaction on mm -hmm. a normal hockey play where Luke Hughes let up because he assumed the official was going to call icing. Mm -hmm. The icing call was not made. Garnett Hathaway is doing his job, which right. is trying to get to the puck because mm -hmm. he, all right, you play to the whistle. This is right. what, okay, every sport, we teach, you know, all young athletes, you play to the whistle. Right. And the fact that Luke Hughes wasn't prepared, wasn't mm -hmm. ready, had no idea that he was going to be hit. And then Jack starts chirping from yep. the bench because his brother got hit. And I mm -hmm. think that's what prompted the officials to toss Garnet Hathaway out of the game. Now, you yep. all can find this um, online. You can look at it yourself. You might disagree with it, but I asked Billy Jaffe his opinion. Billy Jaffe is always um, respectful, deferential, supports officials, mm -hmm. and even he thought, that it was an extreme overreaction on the part of the officials. There right. probably shouldn't have even been a penalty call, right. let alone tossing Garnet Hathaway from mm -hmm. the game. Right. But then on the flip side, you've got Truba swinging his stick like it's a baseball bat at a person's head in front of an official and nothing happens. Like it's, it's, I feel like I, I'm living in uh, like this. Twilight Zone version of the NHL when it comes to officiating this season because it, I I I can't make heads or tails of what so what's what's the the ruler stick right the yardstick what what's well what are the expectations period, it changes yeah. the lip it changes from period to period so right. this this San Jose game is a prime example how do you yep. go from calling only right penalties in mm -hmm. the first now again maybe it was the flow of the game and you know i mean <laughs> the the energy and intensity level was ratcheted up a bit yeah but you know i'm looking at countless penalties that were called here and then we get to the third right. period and Nothing. there's only one penalty right that was called yeah that I, I, remembering the this game i certainly don't recall it being a chippy game you know there was obviously a a pretty big hit 
Um, there was, uh, I'm looking at the list, you know, the fight that happened, um, with Trent Frederick and Giovanni Smith. I kind of remember thinking when Brad Marchand got sent, uh, I don't really remember what happened with that, but I was like, yeah, but like, as I'm, as I'm remembering this, I'm like, I don't, not really. It was a weird call. Like there were a lot of just like, really? Uh, we're calling that? I mean, they- they they had to, to kill off a five on three. I know. And they did it phenomenally well. And who knows? Maybe that's what it was that ultimately changed the tenor of the game. Because like I said, the first half of this game, it was, I mean, it was, there was no score in the first period. And it was very tentative. And then almost halfway through, maybe... Yeah, maybe about 10 minutes into the second period, this game changed. And maybe it was the fight that got them going. Cause you know, that's that is a tool in the toolbox of of teams. Like you go and you lay out a big hit to get them going. You have a fight to get them going. Whatever. I didn't think it was that in the moment. I don't know. It was very weird because this was not a chippy game. This was not like a game like against Florida where everyone's on edge because, you know, you look at somebody funny and then they all start throwing their gloves. Right. That's not what this game was. So I don't I think this was like semi manufactured because of the refs. So I don't know. It was weird. Um, A win's a win. I went, yeah, I went as a win. It was a must win for me. I was like, we got it. This wasn't it mm. wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. Mm-mm. But um, they got back on the winning track. And, yep. you know, a lot of guys that we had, you know, been discussing about needing to see more out of, particularly some of our, you know, bigger and brighter players, so to speak. Yep. You know, they they logged a lot of uh, ice time. Yeah. You know, had the shots on goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at Brad Marchand. He had four shots um, in that game. As a- still some bad penalties, still yes. some stupid ones. Yes. But better. But better. 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 And we needed this win to, to send some momentum to the game against Toronto. Because this was, every game against Toronto is a high stakes game at this point. You hear you hear the announcers and everybody start to talk about this is the modern day major rivalry for the Bruins. And it is. So every one of those games is high stakes. But this was also in Toronto and the Hockey Night in Canada game, which, I mean, if you're a Bruins fan, I feel like you probably all know. But in case you don't know, Hockey Night in Canada is the premier spot to for the game to be on um like i grew up watching hockey night in canada up on the border so it's massive it's it's all eyes it's basically the entire nation of canada tuning in to watch and then of course the massive uh fan base for the boston bruins so it it was high stakes uh on so many levels and Having that win against San Jose, I think, was just really critical also just to build that momentum and that confidence going into that game because it was a pretty big 
deal for Patra. You know, this was his first time playing on his, basically, his home hometown ice. And he got to be there, which he did okay. Um, he did okay. He like, yeah, he was a minus two for the night. Um, but I mean, no, no coach is going to say to him, you're going to sit for that game. Right. It's no, no, no. It's the same thing like with Jeff for for Beecher when they went out to Buffalo. Not that he would have been sent down or seated for that game, anyways. But the Buffalo game was like his hometown, even though Elmira's not super close to Buffalo, but closest, closer to Boston. Um, but what was your take? I mean, you you got to watch the Toronto game, right? I'm I assuming did. I did. I did. And um, thoughts on no, Beecher not being there. I, I thought it was I thought it was strange mm-hmm. only because of the rationale mm-hmm. that Jim Montgomery gave um, in his pregame about why Beecher wasn't in the lineup. And, mm-hmm. you know, he he his words were something to the effect of we don't feel like he's been on top of his game like he was the first several mm-hmm. of the first 22 games. And while I don't agree with, with that assessment. <laughs> I, I agree with your non-agree. <laughs> right. I, I, my question, you know, on social media when discussing this was, it, it, is he watching the same game that we're watching? <laughs> but, you know, which I, I again, my, my conspiracy mind starts spinning a little bit, th- saying myself, I wonder if there was something else that prompted this because, Mm -hmm. you know, I went back and looked at, you know, some of the, the, the game sheets and I mean, his face-off percentages have been terrific. Yeah. Um, You know, he was get he's been getting looks Mm -hmm. uh, at, at the net. So I don't know. I just, again, Monty obviously knows what he's doing because yeah, the, the fourth line that he put together in this game was mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. They were absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But I just just started that game scratching my head going, hmm, I wonder really why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a few thoughts kind of run through my mind when I heard that. Because uh, when I heard that rationale, I was like, what? No, that's not the reason why. I mean, there could be a whole host of reasons, right? Uh Maybe he, maybe he needed a a break. You know, this is not totally unheard of for rookies to do what you can to protect them, preserve them. This is a huge ramp up in uh, playing time, in travel, in all that kind of stuff that all of the ve- the veterans experience. This is brand new for a lot of these new guys. I mean, you. I, I remember which game it was, but they were talking about an interview that they'd had with Patra at one point. And I mean, I think in his most recent experiences, I mean, they're, they're only playing on the weekends or something to that effect, right? And now they're playing every other day and they're going across the country. And so it's, it's really hard. It's a big adjustment for a young person. Um, maybe this is just uh, the collateral damage from Monty being Monty and him you know, in his his laboratory of creating lines, he wanted to switch things up. And 
maybe that meant that someone had to sit. And so that someone is going to be Beecher just because of his, uh, you know, spot in the roster and maybe the type of position that he plays. Because uh, like, who did they bring in for that game? Steen. Steen, right. So, um, and it could have, you know, could have just been gamesmanship or this is a high stakes game and we can only bring one young player and we can't see sit Patra because A, it's his hometown and B, it, they don't want him to maybe not be playing because it's not like they can send him down to Providence. They can't. So, but they can with Beecher. So it's like, which one do you pick? So, you know, his hand may have been forced a little bit there, but he was right back at it with the, the third game. So I also, just like with what happened with Swayman getting pulled, um, I don't put a lot of stock into whatever the heck happened there um, with Beecher because also going back to that Columbus game that they were embarrassed at, Beecher and Patra were the only ones who scored goals. That's good legs in that game. I mean, yeah, it was good. So again, you know, I, I'm sure there was rationale. Some of it might have had to do with, you know, trying to deal with matchups against yeah, the beliefs, knowing exactly. that, you know, you don't have the last change. Um, right. So, you, you know, got the long did, change. Right. Exactly. Did mix up some other, uh, some other line um, yep. combinations that night. So we had, you know, um, Coyle at center with uh, Marshand and Heinen. Mm -hmm. And then we had Zaka centering DeBrusque and Pasta. Yep. And then, Patra centering JVR and Freddie. That's been pretty good. Had, yeah, they. I mean, those lines. Right, they, they were good, really good in Toronto. And yeah. if I remember correctly, I believe he kept the same line combinations in in the uh, yeah Columbus game. So you know, hard not to. Yep. Hard not to get ramped up for a game yeah. of this magnitude when you know this is. This this is your new modern day rivals. Yes. Yeah. Everything. You just you have to put your best out there and not being out on the ice during one of these games isn't necessarily a reflection on you as a player. It's very situational. Um, you know, when when things were getting tight at the end. I uh, talk about the very, very end. Well, not the very, very oh, end. No, we're gonna we're gonna talk about. I know, okay, but um, you know, you you'll have games like this one uh in the future where it's tight and again high stakes. Whether it's like a real high stakes because this is a March game or high stakes because it's just a high intensity rivalry, you're you're basically only going to be playing your top six. Guys, your top nine guys, right? Because you you just have to have your absolute best out there because the other team is sending out their absolute best. And at the end of the day, as much as I love to shit on Toronto, Austin Matthews is a generational player. You 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 show him the respect that he deserves as a powerhouse player that he is by also putting out David Posternock and Brad Marchand and all of those guys, every minute that he or Marner or you know Tavares are out on the ice, and at one point in that game, if not the entirety of the game, or at least the third period of that game, Toronto had one of those guys on the ice every minute 
So what does that leave the Bruins? They can't send out, you know, no, they can't. the less no. experienced guy. They are obligated then to match what Toronto's putting out there, which is their best for every shift, at least one of those guys. Like I mean, if you if you look yeah. at the, if if you look at the at the ice time, the the total ice time yeah. between for for both teams, and you look at the names. So you know, for example, Charlie McAvoy, twenty twenty eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Campus twenty five minutes. Pasta twenty three. Marshy twenty one. Zaka twenty one. Carlo twenty one. DeBrusque nineteen. Coyle nineteen. Forbert eighteen. <laughs> Grizzly 18 and then we then we see a drop off. Yeah. You go to Toronto's side. Morgan mm-hmm. Riley 26, Austin Matthews 23, Nylander, 23, mm-hmm. McCabe 23, Marner 22, Tavares yeah. 22. These are all minutes folks. Yeah. TJ Grody. So to your point, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. You're you're matching your yeah. best players <laughs> with their best players. Yeah. And and you can see the significance and the importance yeah. that both teams and both coaching staffs put on these games when you look at mm-hmm. the minutes mm-hmm. and who is logging those minutes. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I have to throw this in. Okay. Yeah. Ryan Reeves, <laughs> five minutes and 57 seconds of ice time. Yeah. Oscar Steen, Laco. Patra, everybody, JVR, everybody. This time than this loudmouth. Yeah, the only the only thing that he did that got him on the game sheet was right. boarding Matt Patra. Right. Okay, that was the only thing of any significance. So yep. Ryan Reeves, I hope once and for all, you shut your mouth and stop <laughs> talking about Brad Marchand. Yeah. And that was a massive non-call, once again. Massive non-call. Because I'm pretty sure Patra had to go to the dark room after that hit. He left the ice for a touch, and he was back, which was great. But, like... Th- this kid is amazing. He is amazing. He he takes a licking and yep. just keeps on ticking. Exactly. Just, God bless him. <laughs> exactly. You know, and... This this is obviously not a uh, Toronto Maple Leafs show because that would be the worst thing on earth. Uh, but again, my enjoyment of watching Toronto and, and their decisions and thinking, what what are you trying to accomplish here? With I mean, I understand probably why they brought in Ryan Reeves to begin with over the summer, but for the amount of money and for the length of time. Why are you not playing him? And I could say probably with 99% certainty that Reeves was sent out there in the beginning of the game to try and get a rise out of Marshy and the Bruins because he loves to talk a big game Mm -hmm. because of everything that had happened in the previous meeting get over yourself and when the bruins actually did what you and i have been hoping they would do which was don't respond to this idiot this was actually while as fantastic of a game as it was it was a very high skilled highly entertaining game it was not chippy 
it was not uh you know uh, it, be, with, it, with, it wasn't the star power you have yeah it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be it exactly be a fast skilled yes. i was so entertained by the skill and the talent on the ice and like don't get me wrong half the reason why i'm excited for games against toronto is because Oh, this is going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of extracurriculars because yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, whatever. But I think when Boston didn't respond to his shenanigans, the coach, Sheldon Keith, didn't see a need for him to be out on the ice anymore. He's like, well, they're not going to, they're not going to rise to you. And he already you know, hit did that big boarding hit. He's like, I don't want him to do it again and screw us over with a bad right. call. They, you, you, they got lucky that yes, there was they no did. call. But that's not the kind of game that right. the Maple Leafs want to play. And no. they certainly don't want to play it with the Boston Bruins. No, no. That, not that, that is a known fact. Yes. That they don't want to play that kind of game yeah. with the Boston Bruins. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, so, but let let let's talk about now. We've <laughs> talked about a lot of the good that happened. Yeah. We'll get we'll get to the overtime because yep. I have some thoughts about yeah. that. Yep. Um, but again, once again, the Bruins are not capable of making a GD hockey mm -hmm. play six v five. Yeah, and Austin Matthew lays the hammer down. Like I, I am, he's earning his eleven million or fifteen I, million or what? I am it's, literally gonna start a GoFundMe page uh, <laughs> to get these guys a shrink to deal with whatever mental issues they are having. Yeah, with this thirty-second window in a game, it's either five v five or six v five. Because it happens yeah. in both instances. And it's not an issue of personnel. The personnel that's out on the ice should know how to make a goddamn hockey play. I don't yeah. care if you ice it over yeah. and over again. Mm -hmm. Yep. 100%. It's got to stop. It's, in my mind, especially with icing, that when the, when, when you're in that situation, it's clear that the opposing team has momentum in their favor. And so, yes, I understand you ice the puck, you end up with a defensive zone faceoff. But guess what else just happened? The actual pause in the game has the potential to interrupt that momentum. And that's worth something, too. That face-off, that defensive zone face-off, might actually be an opportunity for the team to regain possession. Like, it just blows my mind that it's those two things happening simultaneously. And it has been a problem for a very, very long time. It's rearing its ugly head this season. And, and let me give you a stat mm -hmm. that is a little bit scary. Um, and this was a stat that um, Billy... Jaffe and Andrew Croft oh, brought up the Morning Brew podcast after this yes. game. The Bruins, the Bruins have given up seven goals this yep. season. Yep. Six as a result five. of six on five play, yes. seven freaking goals. 
Yep. It's the most, right? It's yep. the most. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. By a long shot, like not even close by a lot. <laughs> this was the worst part. And, you know, I was sitting there after I heard that stat and I'm trying to wrap my head around it because I'm like this on the surface, this does not compute because we have the best penalty kill in the league. Like, how is this not mentally just like a penalty kill? any different, right, than the killing off? This is only different. There has to be a, there has to be like a, I don't know if it's a, like, I don't want to say a panic um, because mm -hmm. that's doing a disservice to the players. Yeah. There, there is something that is not working yeah. correctly. <laughs> and like, I think the only explanation that I could come up with, and I have not uh, tested this theory because I thought of this after uh, the Columbus game and whatever. Um, the only difference I could potentially imagine is the fact that when you have your special teams for the penalty kill unit, think about what the combination of players is that are out on the ice. You're going to have the ratio of defensemen to forwards is different than when you have a power play than when you have even strength. And I haven't, I haven't looked. I'm, I'm, I want to look, I'm going to keep an eye out on this to see if this is something that's a thing. But when they're in the six on five situation, I mean, are the Bruins literally treating it as if it's even strength? And so they have just their regular five guys. And if that's the case, why are they doing that? Is it because it is still technically even strength? And so what if they get a chance, they want to have their forwards out there to go and make the play i mean it's the end of the game maybe you should be treating it like you need to have your special teams out there and instead of having three forwards and two defensemen maybe you should be considering having three defensemen out there <laughs> instead of you know what i mean i don't know but like what are you doing <laughs> why are you not i would imagine that the coaching staff is asking themselves the very same questions yeah. And, you know, we, we can, we can talk about it, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek, but this is something that is a carryover mm. problem that, oh, yeah. Does that virtually lost you the first round of the playoffs yeah. against the Florida Panthers? Yeah. And here we are in a new season yeah. with, again, some of the same players, but not all of the same players. Yep. And we're seeing it much, much too often. Yeah. And this is also not uh, unique to Montgomery either. I mean, I want to just like throw that out there. Like anybody who's watching these games, you're like, I feel like I've been suffering through this for at least five years. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how to solve it, but I just I don't understand it. And I hope they figure it out because that can't like... To the point where people are talking about it and they're leaving in that statistic. Like, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. Um, but that aside. But that aside, we, as bad as that, that whatever it was, 30 seconds was. That oh, it's like four seconds. Oh, oh, but I was going to say, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't Matthew score with like four seconds? I, I knew as soon as he had the puck with 10 seconds, I'm like, 
that's plenty of time. That's a you, lifetime in hockey. You can see the train wreck happening. And yeah. you just sit they there. They fell over. Oh, it, my God. Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, there it is. It's in yep. the back of our yep. net. And actually, uh, was it all of the, uh, at least two of the goals, because um, there were, it was, it was tied at three. To, it was four to three final. Um, at least two of those goals scored by Toronto were situations where it was just like complete chaos. And they were, they got lucky because the Bruins were in a chaotic moment. And that's exactly what happened at the very end. Because I mean, for crying out loud, you got like all the guys right in front of Ali. Charlie Coyle falls down. It's like a Benny Hill skit. Like just everyone's running around like crazy. And of course it goes in. Well, that's what makes Toronto still a dangerous team. It is. Because again, they're rough. The talent. The talent and the speed. Yeah. They can take advantage of moments like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yes. And all the more reason that you need to have more of a, you know, more structure mm-hmm. in your own end. But yeah. Um, again, you know, it, 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 it ended with the good guys winning. And here's what I want to say to the NHL leave overtime. Oh, yes. Don't. Oh. If you're going to do anything to overtime, you yeah. can extend it to eight minutes and dump the stupid shootout. Yeah, but that overtime period was unfreaking believable. Uh, I gotta tell you, I obviously when in live and in the moment, I couldn't believe. Like as I'm watching it, I'm like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And like I, I you know, I watch with my headphones on, and I'm watching on my computer, and uh, it's late at night. My husband's sitting on the couch. And so it's probably quiet in the house. My kids asleep. And all of a sudden they go, ah, (laughs) it's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I can't believe that happened. And then the next day they posted on their social media, another angle of the goal. Uh, I believe it was the camera angle for the guy who videotapes everything for them for behind the B. Oh my God. It was such a thing of beauty. My, and, and, and it's my my favorite part was, was, um, Martian's little twirl around the ice. Like, how do you like me now? Oh, see, and that's why people hate him. And that's why I love him. But the peak, (laughs) I tell you what, this, not just that is why I love him because of his personality and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But as a hockey player, he leads by example and he plays for every second he is on that ice. So. It's best seen from that angle. I will I will link the the clip in our show notes if you haven't seen this, but you can see it even better because what they showed on the TV, um, they focused on, you know, pasta coming down the ice and going in his breakaway. And you only kind of saw down in the lower corner of the TV screen that, you know, Marshy got tangled up with somebody. I think maybe Nylander, I'm not sure. And then all of a sudden, Marshy's there and scores the goal but from this other angle what you can see is something that literally any kid who wants to play hockey should watch over and over and over again because what happened was he got taken down he got he got tangled up quite frankly and he could have just stopped playing right we're looking at you mr hughes he could have just stopped playing because pasta had the puck and when Pasta has a basically a breakaway shot, goalies quake in their in their skates. But the thing is, 
the game wasn't over. And he somehow extricates him from this pile of him and this other player. And he hustles down that ice to get to what I love to call his office. And he is there for when pasta, I don't know what the heck happened. Just the, the puck just didn't go anywhere. And he flipped it up into the air and he was there. That is phenomenal hockey playing because they have that commitment and that that ability to recognize this game is not over. Our best player on the ice has a scoring chance, but I need to be there just in case. And that is what he then took with him into the Columbus game that whole night. That was king energy. Like, right. oh my God. Um, he he was he he was really good in the Toronto game. Um, yeah, and and again, all all of our, I guess our new core, right? Mm-hmm. Our new core, um, were really good in that game. Yeah, yep. His leadership skills, next level, next level. Like yep. he's 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 turned that switch on, man. Mm-hmm. And now we need him to keep that switch on moving, moving forward. And yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. He went into that Columbus game oh. with a Still mission, basically, especially in the third period. Oh my where God. He just, it seemed to me that he said to himself, and maybe he said it to the guys in the locker room, mm-hmm. we're not losing to these guys. Again. No, 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 no. And I was, again, this just like with the San Jose game, it was a weird start. And I think it was just because they were nervous, right? The nerves before the San Jose game wasn't because of it being San Jose. It was because, man, we just lost three. Like, we cannot screw this up. Going into the Columbus game, it's exactly like what you said. We got to be careful. We can't screw up because we cannot lose to these guys. And... Unlike in other games that we've seen this season, when they start off behind, it's been a mental slog for them to chase that, right? We've talked about this many times, how exhausting it can be mentally and physically to constantly be trying to catch up. And so when Columbus scored that first goal, I was like, crap, how are they going to respond? How did they score that goal again, my friend? Mm-hmm. How much time was left on the clock? Yep. And, you know, again, like I said in <clears throat> earlier in the, in the episode, hat tip to the goaltender, nothing was getting in past him on straight shots. Everything, the only way to, to, to beat him at least enough to maybe start to shake his confidence was on any kind of deflection or non-direct shot. You know, every direct shot, every clean shot was getting stopped. And it wasn't until March. Spencer Martin did did make some pretty damn good saves. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I I, got to give, I've got to give a little credit where, where credit is due. Um, Yeah. He, he made, he made actually, there was one leg save. He stretched out. Yeah. His leg was that on Zaka. It was just yeah. um 
Yeah. You know, he, that should have been a goal. Oh my that God. That should have been, been a goal. But he made a spectacular mm -hmm. yep. save. It wasn't until Marshan's first goal where it was very reminiscent of uh, Mighty Ducks knuckle puck time because that thing like went off weird and was doing a little bit of a, a tumble, uh, as Jack likes to call it, the tumbling muffin, and uh, surprised the goaltender in, you know, changing of speed and direction and whatnot. Um, and it was like, it was almost like it was the same game for Marchand as the day before. He just kept on going and it was just a thing of beauty to, to, to behold. I cannot believe that he's only ever scored six hat tricks. I guess I was kind of surprised by that statistic. I mean, it's not like they're that common, but for him, I was like, oh, really? But, uh, nevertheless, it was fantastic uh i loved the energy in the building after he scored that uh hat trick and they were singing that frankie valley song that was wonderful like that's just a great vibe um it's true we can't we can't take our eyes off of you brad marshan <laughs> i have to give a little love to danton heinen and i know i know i'm going to bother one of our discord friends mo but that that pass from heinen to Marshy for his first goal. That yeah. was chef's kiss. He's, I'm impressed. He's starting to grow on me. I got to say, he's yep. starting to grow on me. Yep. I mean, you know, he's changed. He's grown. He's older. Uh, you know, he's in his now, what, mid to late 20s. He's hungry. He wants to be there. And... I don't know. I, I've seen, like, I was, I was super impressed. I don't remember now which game it was. It was, it could have been this week where he got put on the second line. And I was like, holy cow. Like, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. Wait. And, and, you know, again, maybe it's because he has a quiet game. Mm -hmm. It's, it, he doesn't make himself extremely visible. But, right. He's doing the job that he was hired to do, so to speak. So, yeah. Um. I. You know. I've got. I've got to. I've got to. I've got to give Danton Heinen my golf clap. Yep. There you go. There you go. Yep. Snaps. Right. Like. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I mean, back, 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 back to back to Brad Marchand because this was definitely the third period was the Brad Marchand show. He scored three goals in a span of. Five minutes and 50 seconds. Two of them on the power play, which is fine because they took, of course, you know, took advantage of the constant parade of Columbus Blue Jackets going in and out of um, the penalty box. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, let me see what kind of silly penalties they took. So, tripping, tripping, hooking. So, I mean, the Bruins took advantage of mm -hmm. the Blue Jackets in, in that yeah. third period. Yeah. Yeah, it was thrilling. It was everything that you want to see in a Bruins game. Aggressive, you know, players being where they need to be. Um, there was one video clip, and I've been trying to get my hands on it, so if anybody out there 
finds this. Just I would be a turn. I'm still looking for this clip because it's just it's such an awesome clip. Uh, in the post game show, uh, Billy was pointing out again, like this tenacity of Brad Marchand and. At some point in the game, he showed this clip, and at some point in the game, Marshy was entering the zone, and he got basically, like, I think he was pinched by two, at least two Blue Jackets players, and, you know, I, I believe he had the puck, and they kind of took him down, uh, but he, let, he, and he went down, but then he got up and he kept going, and I'm like, if that is not the ultimate Example, like if I had to show someone who'd never seen Brad Marchand play ever, I'd show them that clip and say, this is who he is as a hockey player. Because he just like he's not nothing's going to stop him. You can't even you can't unless you knock him out. You can't stop him. He's unstoppable when he's in the zone. And uh, we jokingly said that the pep talk. Uh, with former captain Patrice Bergeron must have done wonders because um, <laughs> Bruin social media posted a picture of the two of them having a heart-to-heart chat, uh, you know, not in the locker yeah, room, but it, it, behind the Warrior. scenes. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Probably at Warrior Ice Arena. Yep. And so uh, that must have done wonders because the very next game, we started to see the Marchand that we know and love. So, um no, this was definitely, and you know, the, the, this is what great leaders do. Yeah. You, you look at your teammates and you say, hop on my back, mm-hmm. follow me yep. and do as I do. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and especially for these young players, because, you know, we, we do have a lineup now, a roster that is comprised of, you know, a younger core of players. Mm-hmm. And for them to see, you know, a veteran like Brad Marchand yep. just giving giving everything of himself mm-hmm. in, in games such as these, that it's it has to infuse the same kind of energy. And if yeah. it doesn't, I don't want you on my team. Yep. You can just go up to the ninth floor yep. and watch the game. Hundred percent, absolutely, absolutely. Now, now the other group that I need to show—I mean, th- there was a lot of good in this game by a lot of good players. Mm-hmm. But I, I also have to say that the fourth line of Geeky, Lauko, and Beecher. Yeah, I'm kind of liking what I'm seeing. Yeah, of of this uh, of this trio. Morgan yeah. Geeky um, has—he seems to be getting better with each minute that he mm-hmm. plays and each shift that he plays. And I think that was one of the um, reasons why he wanted to get out of where he was before. Yes. Because yes. he needed the opportunity to play. He does. To show that. He, and he's, again, to his credit, he's taking full advantage of mm-hmm. that opportunity. Yes. I'm very glad to see that that's the direction that he's trending in because um, as I've written out in the past, when he was in Carolina, he had much better statistics than when he was in Seattle. But if you look, the amount of time that he had played in one place versus the other, he's better when he has more time to play. And that's really important for a young player's development, but then also just 
in general, you know, you, you got to keep playing at that high level and that speed or you're going to get rusty. And so it's it's great to see how he's really becoming a hard worker and a dependable player, um, especially since he's been back from his injury, because I think there was some criticism of him. And, you know, again, what's his job? What's he doing? What's his role? I'm not seeing what everyone was hoping for and blah, blah, blah. Now I think people are starting to see like, okay, okay, I see what you can do. I see what you can contribute because that's, you know, the fourth line is still an important line because oftentimes they have to play against some of the best. And so it's great that you have a speedy guy like Lauko. You've got uh, your, your, your tough guy, center, modern power forward potentially in Beecher. And if Kiki's down on that line, even if he's on that line or a third line, whatever, he's he's the guy who is where you need him to be when you need him to be there. And that's an important role, too. You have to have the reliable, the old reliables, you know, they're important, too. <laughs> you know, and, and another another guy that I don't think we we spend enough time talking about, but who's um, been a stalwart. Mm. Um, on defense is Brandon Carlo. Ugh, you know, we could have I a whole I, episode on him. I know. And, and maybe we will when we do, we do <laughs> break. You know, yeah. We'll save some of this for that. Yeah. But, you know, I know that I myself personally have sometimes been a bit critical of him because given oh, yeah. his size Thanks. and his stature, uh, mm-hmm. I, ex- I would have, I guess, assumed or expected mm-hmm. more physicality yeah. out of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that I, doesn't seem to be, a, a, you know, a, a standard component of his game. Mm-hmm. But boy, when it comes down to shutting down mm-hmm. the other teams, you know, top he's players, unreal. he's doing a damn good job this season. Mm-hmm. He is a defensive defenseman to the nth degree. The the only like a skilled defensive defenseman, not one of those, you know, knucklehead enforcer defensemen from the 90s. Like. Like. I am not saying that he is. Scott Niedermeyer, because he is definitely a, a high goal scoring, but skilled defensive defenseman, you know, he's going out there and he is smartly shutting things down um, and his game has completely been elevated with the arrival of Jim Montgomery. And and again, you know, who knows? Is it a change of scenery or is it or is it Montgomery's system? I mean, it's very defensively focused. So it's not surprising to me that the defense benefited probably the most from his system, you know. Yeah, no, I've 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 been really impressed. So, you know, I wanna <laughs> I wanna give him some, you know, again. You know, it's it's a team. This is definitely a team game on this. Yeah. Team. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we, and, and that's where sometimes, you know, hockey is very different mm-hmm. than some other sports. But yeah, um, yep. you definitely. know, the, the 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 efforts of, you know, guys like Brandon Carlo and, you know, who are doing things quietly, but doing them mm-hmm. very well. You know, yeah. we need I, I I want to at least acknowledge that and, you know, to circle back to. Um, to to Brad Marchand, you, Charlie McAvoy had some nice um, post game comments when when asked about Brad's leadership, and he mm. he's you know said you know he clearly recognized that 
you know, that we might have been a little bit fatigued and he, you know, stepped up his level of play, which, yeah. you know, caused us all to step up our, our level of play. So, um, you know, yeah. good for Brad for, you know, leading by leading by example. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe we've already been chatting for an hour and we do want to just super quickly touch on some of our favorite uh, extras. Um, you know, we've got uh, who's who's coming up. We've got the Sabres. The Sabres. Thursday <sighs> night. And Arizona. I, yeah. <sighs> well, listen, don't don't snooze at Arizona. So no the Sabres are Sabres I, I are coming in. Um, on a four-game losing streak, they had a couple of guys who didn't practice. Um, Darlene and someone else. Did they send on, their goalie down? They did send mm -hmm. um, Levi, Levi down to yeah, um, yeah to their to their farm system. Mm -hmm. um, Arizona, believe it or not, mm -hmm. is a wild card playoff team right now. Stop it. Current standing. <laughs> so. Um, you know, hopefully the Bruins aren't going to be looking at them as, mm -hmm. um, you know, a stepping stone. So yeah. um, they've got games Thursday and Saturday. Then they don't play again until they face the New Jersey Devils on yeah. Wednesday the 13th. And yep. frankly, I'm okay with this kind of a schedule because they yes. clearly haven't had enough downtime. Yeah. They haven't had enough practice time. And yes. even Jim Montgomery spoke to that. I believe it was today after a practice when he was he was asked about, um, you know, what what's changed to get you guys back on a winning track again. Uh -huh. And you know, some of what he said was the fact that they've had an opportunity to actually practice, right? Clean up some yes. of you know the areas of of concern. So mm -hmm. um, you know, I and they were looking. In my yeah. view, they were looking a little bit tired and fatigued. Yeah. Yeah. A, you know, they'd been playing a lot of hockey, a lot of traveling. You had some mm -hmm. holiday times. You know, they're doing their, their, you know, giving their time to the community by doing their shopping and visiting the children's hospitals. A lot going on. A lot, a lot going, going on. on. A lot mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of break. Never hurt anybody, especially this team. Uh, they're still an older-ish team. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I, we'll see what kind of comes of those two. Their biggest challenge, again, not playing down to, to them. And yeah, any other quick hits around the, around the rink? Or we can always... Uh, just definitely uh, share out later. Yeah, just quickly, I'll touch upon this. Um, the board of governors are in either day two or day three of their meetings in Seattle. One of the most um, significant things that um, came out of the meetings either yesterday or today was the talk about the um, Olympics mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the fact that there's still concern about the participation of NHL players in the Olympics in Milan, Italy, and I think it's 2025. Be and and a lot, a lot of it has to do with the fact that not only did they have insurance issues for the players mm. that need to be ironed out 
and travel coordination and accommodations for families, the bigger problem that is weighing on Gary Bettman's mind, and rightfully so, is the fact that they haven't even started construction of the ice arena Mm. for these games. And so, you know, this is a critical component for the league. Normally, they, you know, have schematics. They're, you know, they have something to look at. And, you know, the construction has begun. So they have no idea what is this arena going to look like? When did they have to start building? Yeah. They've been building this arena. Mm -hmm. And and can I tell you, what are they going to do with a rink in Milan, Italy after? (laughs) Okay. People, it's a fashion capital of the world. Uh, No one's going into that ice arena after these hockey players. Yeah. If they even get there. So I would encourage you to go to NHL.com and read about some of the other things. But this, to me, is a little bit concerning. And I think it's going to likely be concerning to the Players Association as well, because they really, really want to go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been a huge thing. And that was kind of part of, if you remember, there was a collective bargaining agreement or I don't know if it was a full negotiation, but there was some negotiation that happened uh, during COVID. Sessions to be able right to do this. Yeah, they. I I do recall it was either in 2020 or 2021, whenever it was in the fall, and um, it was like a pre, whatever. Don't quote me on any. But it was it was part of the it was part of that that because they really really want to participate in the Olympics and. All of that stuff. I mean, quite frankly, one of the craziest suggestions that I have heard out there uh, uh, in the internet um, that kind of is not a terrible, like if you want to talk about outside of the box thinking, um, it goes against my grain to suggest it, but I'm like, I feel like this is the only way you're going to see NHL players in the Olympics playing hockey. Having it be a part of the Summer Olympics. Because it's the off season for the NHL. Mm. I know, I know, but still, like, and uh, my knee jerk reaction, I hate it. That's the worst idea. However, how else are you going to get these guys there at this point with the scheduling and everything that's going on? And, you know, I don't know. It's crazy, but it's one of the most interesting ones I've heard. I stand corrected. 2026 is the Milan Olympics. Yeah. And yes, the the building is the biggest. I mean, again, mm-hmm. the, the, who's going to pay the expenses? Mm-hmm. Getting all these players there, is, yeah. uh, you know, is a big issue. But the their biggest focus is, you know, normally is that the building is done a year in advance and you mm-hmm. have time to have events and test it out and, you know, build the ice and do all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the projection is that the building won't be done until the fourth quarter of 2025, I know. which is a, only a handful of weeks before mm-hmm. the Olympics. And that's if they're on time. Right. Exactly. And that's if they're on time. Um, the other big news is that there is going to be a, um, a, a, a tournament, a four-season mm-hmm. international tournament, a la what the NBA is doing right now with their in-season mm-hmm. Uh, yep, that will happen in in twenty twenty five, and um, it, Bettman indicated that it would be the United States, Canada, Sweden, and Finland. Yep, um, would be the participating countries. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens if the Board of Governors surprise us with anything, because they have done that in the past. They have done that. So, yeah. Well, they're also talking about officiating at these meetings and we'll see what will come of that, which will be absolutely nothing. I in agree. That regard, so I agree. But with that being said, it's been over an hour. The hour always flies by, especially when when they are doing great. <laughs> especially when they're doing so well. Yeah, they're back. They're back on their. They're back on a winning track. They're not perfect. There's still areas that need to be cleaned up, but a win is a win. It's a win. Yeah. So we'll end on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So until next week. Next week we'll be back on a regular uh, Tuesday night. Um, record schedule so yeah. we'll, we'll have some uh, some games to talk about and we'll preview the uh, game against the new jersey devils mm -hmm. um, until then everyone have a great rest of your week and weekend absolutely go bees. Go bees.